Welcome to The Bounce. I am Bob Lapine. I'm the lead pastor at Redeemer Community Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. The Bounce is a podcast for pastors and ministry leaders, for those of us who are involved in the ministry of the gospel in the local church. And it's all about resiliency. We call it The Bounce because all of us need to keep bouncing back from the challenges we face in ministry. And so we hope this podcast will help you do that. The Bounce is the podcast of the Great Commission Collective. For those of you who are a part of GCC, you know all about what we're all about. For those of you who are new to the Great Commission Collective, check out our website, which is gccollective.org. We are a church planting, leader strengthening ministry. In fact, that's our mission, planting churches and strengthening church leaders. And one of our cultural values at the Great Commission Collective is what we call gospel integrity. What we mean by that is that we want to ensure that the gospel is the theological center for our leadership, our preaching, and our churches. And it's with that in mind that we're going to dive into a conversation today with my friend Andy Snyder. Andy is the lead pastor at Radiant Church in Austin, Texas. He has been pastor there since 2016. He has his uh, master's and his doctorate from the master's seminary. He was a professor there for 11 years and came to Austin back in 2016 to uh, lead the work at Radiant Church. And we had a great conversation together talking about the difference between a church being Bible-centered and a church being gospel-centered and how those overlap. So I'm just curious, I'm thinking back, I don't know, 30 years ago, if you had told me 30 years ago that there was a church in our town where they preached the gospel every Sunday, what I would have presumed was that that was a church where I was going to hear a crusade-style evangelistic message with an invitation (laughs) at the end, because I thought preaching the gospel means inviting people to come to know Jesus. Today, I have a different perspective on what it means to preach the gospel. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the tradition that I grew up in. In the, you know, the 70s and 80s, I grew up in the tradition where to be a gospel preaching church meant that you were a part of the revivalist tradition, right? You were part of uh, the tradition that gives an altar call at the end of every service, no matter what the sermon was about. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, If there was a text, honestly, to begin with. So yeah, yeah, and and we would all stand there awkwardly and sing however many verses of the hymn we had to. That was preaching the gospel. That's all I ever knew until, gosh, after I graduated high school. It's funny. I I remember being at a church like that, young in the faith, and everybody at the end, the choir started singing just as I am. Everybody in the congregation started singing. I had never heard just as I am before. I thought, (laughs) what is this song? All these people know. And then when the pastor said, we're going to sing this just one more time, and I thought, really? We've done it a lot already. We're going to do it just one more time. So that was all new to me as a, yeah. as a young believer. But today, when we talk about being gospel-focused or gospel-centered or preaching the gospel on Sunday, we're talking about something that is more expansive than just an altar call and an invitation, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I really think so. Now, to preach the gospel means to preach what Paul calls in Colossians 3, the Word of Christ, right? Let the Word of Christ richly indwell you, and I understand that to mean let the message about the Messiah 
right? The message about Christ richly indwell, not you individually, but you, the community. And so the message about, and of course we learn the message of Christ from the scriptures. Um, so, so certainly means preach the Bible, but we preach the gospel in the sense that we are exhorting people to live in obedience to Christ, the one who redeemed them. It certainly involves inviting people to come to faith in Christ, but it also means exhorting people who already have faith in Christ. Yeah, explain how the gospel is important and relevant for those who have been converted. Yeah, who was it that said we preach the gospel to ourselves every day? Right. So there's a there's a broader sense in which we preach the gospel privately. You know, I I can preach the gospel to my wife and my children. I can preach the gospel to my friend over the phone when he calls me and is having a rough day in a uh, a gathered context, right? The worship service context of the church. We're preaching, like Paul said, uh, we're preaching the whole counsel of God, and it's focused through the lens of the good news that Jesus is Lord and that redemption has been accomplished through him. Um, so we preach that to our, that's the good news that we need right. to hear every single week and then be exhorted to live accordingly, to be comforted by that good news. Yeah. There's a matrix that I've used for a number of years that I've found helpful, just thinking that this is not exhaustive, but the gospel is at least about forgiveness, about transformation, and about hope. Hmm, and yeah. every day I need to be reminded that I am forgiven for the sins of today. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I have to remind myself when I sin, there's forgiveness in Christ. Yeah. And then I have to remind myself in the midst of living out my life that God is at work transforming me and that yeah. I haven't arrived yet, but by the gospel, I'm still being changed. And then I have a hope that because of the gospel, where I am today is not where I'll be forever. Yeah. And to remind myself of those things, forgiveness, transformation, and hope, and to remind my congregation of those things every week. I think brings them back in the midst of a culture that is saying you can't be forgiven for your sins or you are who you are and that can't change and there's no future. We need to be reminded that God has a different message for us. That's so good. I I agree. Uh, people need that. They need to be reminded that they have a living Savior, right? Your hope is in a person, right? Peter calls him our, our living hope. Jesus is our living hope. And so that is a transforming reality for me. He's my shepherd that never leaves me. He's with me even in the dark valleys. He continues, like you said, he continues to cleanse me as I walk the path that he's ordained for me. I was just looking at Hebrews 10 and um, the exhortation or the warning really to not forsake gathering together comes in the context of an exhortation to think about, consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds, right? Not forsaking that gathering, because that's how you're going to do it. You got to be together. But then he adds this eschatological perspective, and so much the more as you see the day drawing near, mm. right? So our gathering to preach the gospel to one another in order to build one another up and encourage one another is a way that we keep our eyes looking forward to the blessed hope that Jesus is coming back. Well, that's good. What is the difference between what we consider a gospel-preaching church and a Bible-teaching church? Are they different in how they view their mission? 
I can speak from experience here. And what I'm about to say, I would never want it to ever be misunderstood to think that preaching the Bible is less important or that learning doctrine, theology, I mean, theology matters, right? That's what the shirt <laughs> says. So, um, and I didn't do that on purpose. Uh, it just happened to be the shirt that came out of the drawer today. You hear a lot of gospel-centered talk nowadays, you know, now for a number of years. Is a gospel-centered church somehow different than a Bible-preaching church? Well, maybe a Bible-centered church, if we were to sort of make that parallel, gospel-centered versus Bible-centered. Certainly, a gospel-centered church preaches the Bible. I'm absolutely committed to exposition of the scriptures, right? Our default is verse-by-verse preaching through books of the Bible with generous breaks here and there for other kinds of things, but it always comes back to what has God said? How has God revealed himself? So so a gospel-centered church is a Bible-teaching church, but in my experience, and I have many years of experience with this, churches that are Bible-centered and really press that you know, publicly, they tend to become unbalanced between what we see in the New Testament as a very tight partnership between the Word and the Spirit. They become overbalanced on the side of being a Bible-teaching church, where our church is about the Word of God. And they say that so much to the exclusion of other things that I would say the Word of Christ is not richly indwelling that body of believers because the reliance on, the sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, um, who is like, you know, that the Spirit works by means of the Word, and as we learn the Word, we are seeking the Spirit who ministers the Word to us. I mean, it's, it's intertwined. So I, I kind of feel like the main difference that I see between gospel-centered and Bible-centered is that. What, what, what do you think? Well, yeah, I, I think, and I've had this experience too, of being in churches where I felt like the primary goal was the accumulation of Bible knowledge and Bible yeah. understanding and theological understanding, which again, there is great value in those things. And I am grateful that that was pressed into me. But I, I got to a point where I realized I'm pursuing this maybe with the wrong objective in mind to to be able to score well on my theology entrance exam when I get to heaven, right? As opposed yeah. to thinking, what is this telling me about how I live, about my emotions, about the whole work of my life? And that's where, when I began to take the gospel out of the box, I had it in, because mm -hmm. I had it in that box of the gospel leads you to Christ, and then you're kind of done with that. Now let's get to theology. Yes, yes. Right? And when I started to see, no, I still need the gospel directing and shaping everything I'm thinking. Now I'm reading the Bible through a gospel lens that is changing my understanding of the message. It's not just about facts and how the theology fits together, but it's about the overarching message of what God has accomplished in Christ. Yeah, yeah, that's so good. What, what I experienced in environments like that was like you said, Bible knowledge becoming an end in itself, mm -hmm. that that's the goal. Almost as if I saw a reference, I think this was a serious poll um, that I saw just in the last couple of weeks that said some shocking percentage of American Christians believe that the Bible is the third member of the Trinity, right? right? Father, Son, and Holy Bible. 
and so this knowledge of the Bible and the ability to articulate doctrinal formulations becomes an end in itself. And I try to emphasize to the people that I shepherd that you can know a lot about the Bible, but it doesn't mean you know God. You can come to church, you can come to the gathering of the church and have a good time and weep during the songs and be sobered by the message and still not be worshiping God. The goal is always worship because that's what the gospel does. The gospel restores sinners to a place where they can worship God. And I think that the purpose of knowledge, meaning to know God personally, so that we can worship him rightly, is what gets lost. And and honestly, man, that's a, that's a big loss, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. The people at our church may be sick of hearing me say it, but I regularly say <laughs> we have to re-believe the gospel mm-hmm. every day. That, yeah. that believing the gospel is what brings us to faith, while re-believing the gospel every day brings us again to faith. Yeah. So just as the gospel was essential for our justification, it's essential for our sanctification. And because I sin every day, I have to re-believe in forgiveness every day. Because I mess up, I have to re-believe in the transforming work of God in my life. So re-believing the gospel is how we live out our faith. Yes, right. That's what it means, Galatians 2.20, right? The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Walking by faith, walking in the Spirit, is walking in that. I like that that idea of re-believing, right? It's Mm -hmm. like we're picking up our faith again when we wake up in the morning. We're picking it up again and saying, yeah, this is the lens through which I see the world, and it's the lens through which I'm going to live these next hours. And we should say here, and, and I'm, I'm hearing you say this, but as we talk about word and spirit and about people who overemphasize the Bible, we are fully committed to the authority, the sufficiency, the, 100%. the greatness of God's revelation to us. Yeah. We think, like the psalmist in Psalm 119, where every verse is about the goodness of God's law and his word, we yeah. love the word of God, right? Yeah, it shocks me. I, and I, st- I cringe, because you just said overemphasizing the Bible. I don't know that I could ever overemphasize the Bible. I mean, it's God's Word. It is literally God's revelation of Himself to us. It's absolutely vital to our existence as His people. And the Word of Christ that Paul talks about in Colossians 3, the message about the Messiah, we learn about that through the Bible. It's our only connection, you know, in black and white, and the Spirit comes and helps us understand. And So, yeah, I don't know. If you can overemphasize the Bible, you can give it the wrong place in the church and treat it like an end in itself rather than the means that God has given us, right, to know him and to worship him. But anyway, yeah, man, I'm 100% there. I'm helped by the armor of God in Ephesians 6, where it says that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Yeah. And it's the Spirit who does battle. The sword is what he's got in his hand. So we need to make sure that we are giving the Spirit the sword regularly. But ultimately, the Word only has life in the hands of the Spirit who brings the life and gives it life, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Paul says exactly that, right, in 2 Corinthians 2 that these are the things of the Spirit. And whatever level you can understand them without the Spirit, it's not the fullest understanding that God intends for His people to have. We need the Spirit to lead us forward in that understanding, and and especially in applying, right? The 
the word, we can't just come up with our own, you know, we read it, we, we sort of bounce off the scripture and we have some sort of impression that this is how it applies to me, but we got to labor to understand with the power of the spirit in order to fully appropriate it in our lives and understanding. Yeah. One of the critiques that's often tossed our way when it comes to gospel-centered teaching and preaching is that we try to invent the gospel, put it into places where it's not there. We're coming up with gospel analogies in passages where you're going, that's really a stretch to get there. So as pastors, are we to look for the gospel in every second Kings 18. And, you know, I, I don't yeah. even know what that is. Are we to see the gospel everywhere in the Bible? Well, I kind of feel like you've drifted into another podcast where there's an, there should be another uh, guest with better expertise on this than I have, because you've just opened up a whole different can of worms. I have been helped. This is fresh in my mind. Uh, and we're just, you know, we're just having a conversation here. So what's fresh in my mind is what I continue to learn and apply through the, you know, the Semi-Trust Preaching Workshop, where the the goal is to learn, first of all, what did the text mean to its original readers, right? By the, the original author to its original readers. Then what is the path to the cross? And this is where I would normally like make a drawing and I can't draw for you. So if you understand that, the Bible tells the story of redemptive history. The Bible tells the story of the redemption of the human race. So the theme of the Bible is redemption in Christ for the glory of God. That's how I summarize it. Redemption in Christ for the glory of God. So every text of scripture somehow participates in that theme, that overarching meta narrative of redemption. So as a preacher, my goal is to understand each text, say I'm preaching in the Old Testament, if I'm in 1 Kings or whatever, how does this story participate in the overall story of redemption? And then take that path to the cross. There are different ways to do that, but once you find that path to the cross, then you have a gospel-saturated understanding of that Old Testament text that now comes to bear in my heart now during this time and in my context. So... Go ahead. I think you've nailed it there. I I mean, I I really think that's helpful to say if everything in Scripture is helping us understand our redemption in Christ, then this passage I'm reading is not just there as kind of a a funny illustration that they threw in to wake us back up in the middle of (laughs) of a narrative. No, it's there to amplify something about the redemptive nature. And that's part of our job as as expositors is to say, what is that? Where is it? I remember hearing Tim Keller years ago say, as he approaches a text, he asks four questions. What does this say? What does it mean? How does it apply? And then, and I'd I'd heard that for years. And then he threw in, and where's Jesus? Yeah. And that can lead you in a direction of trying to invent or put Jesus, hide Jesus in your text. And we want to be careful of that. But I think what you've said about what is this telling us about redemption that we need to bring to light here? Yeah, yeah. There's, I think there's a big difference between saying every text is about Jesus and every text leads us to Jesus. Mm-hmm. I've had conversations with those who would say every text is about Jesus, and in my opinion, they say some just odd things. I think there's a safer route in in saying that every text ultimately leads us to the cross rather than every text is about the cross. 
If you're preaching about Balaam, you're not trying to say, okay, is the donkey a type of Christ? Is right. you know, you got to be really careful with that kind yeah. of stuff, yeah. right? <laughs> um, you and I have talked before about the essay that J.I. Packer wrote back in 1959, where he said the greatest issue in our day, this is 1959. It's been a while, was, but it's still the issue. three years old. This was before you were born. <laughs> and, and he said that the biggest issue is the recovery of yeah. the fumbled away gospel. Yeah. And he said, what we've done is we've traded the real gospel for a half gospel that is really no gospel at all. And mm. the key distinction that he made was between a God-centered gospel and a man-centered gospel. I just pulled that out to glance over that essay again, and I was struck so strongly with the urgency of that. I mean, he wrote this how many years ago? And yeah. the urgency is still so great because what we have now, and I think we've invented new words for it, but now we now have a therapeutic gospel where the gospel does good to us. And for that reason, it should be pursued. In reading the first part of, of the Packer essay, I was reminded of that place where John Piper said, we are content to be God-centered as long as God is man-centered. <laughs> and I, 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 like, I'll never forget that because yeah. it's such a great calibrating feature, calibrating like measurement for me as a pastor. When I get in front of my people, when I plan services, when I think about preaching calendars and such, is it about lifting people's eyes to see the glory of God in Christ and not merely to help them find ways to feel better about where they are today? Mm. Because it, you know, as Packer so ably points out in that essay, if we continue preaching this, what is essentially a horizontal gospel, then we have lost the gospel, the right. gospel of God's glory in Christ. That lights me up. We've, we've got to, um, yeah, we've got to pull back the original gospel and get away from the therapeutic gospel that Jesus will help you feel better. And we're going to have a link in the show notes to the the Packer essay that we're talking about and also information about the Simeon Trust and, and probably a link to this as well. I remember being at the very first Together for the Gospel event back in Louisville at the Galt House. There were 2,500 of us crammed into the ballroom there. And John Piper spoke there and I pulled out my trio. This is how old that was. I had a trio oh, wow. phone <laughs> and I started taking notes on my, my trio device. Because he started saying, I'm going to tell you what the gospel is. He hmm. said, first of all, it's an event that took place in time and history. It's it's not a philosophy. It's an actual event. It's Jesus dying on the cross. And then he said, secondly, it's the cosmic implications of his death and resurrection. Hmm. So things happened in the heavenlies. The order of the universe was set right Mm, in the yeah. heavenlies. And then he said, and then third, that had specific application for human beings. Yep. And he talked about our justification and the rest. He said, and then there are features and benefits that come along with the gospel. So we have peace with God. We have, we have peace in our soul. There, there are all of these things. He mentioned, I think, that we often focus on the features and benefits when we're presenting the gospel. Like, mm. like salesmen, we say, don't you want <laughs> meaning and purpose in life? Yes. Don't you want this? Just so believe good. in Jesus, right? Yep. But he said, we forget the earlier parts of the gospel that have got to be told. But here's where he, he knocked the slats out from under me. He said, the fifth thing we have to remember is that the gospel is a person. Mm. It's Jesus. 
Yeah. He said, I, I run into too many people today who, if I go to them and say, would you like heaven, streets of gold, no night, no sorrow, reunited with your loved ones, no more pain. Oh, and by the way, Jesus won't be there. Right. People would say, okay, I'll take that deal. Yeah. Because Jesus is not their treasure. It's all of the promises that are yeah. the treasure. Yeah. And I thought to myself, when I say Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come quickly, is it because I want to be with Jesus or because yeah. I want the nonsense to end and I want a little rest in my life? Yep. yep. Yeah. Uh, you're right. You're right. Do I want Jesus? As a pastor, I want, I want people to see Jesus as the living hope, to see Jesus as the good news, right? Remember, the good news is that Jesus is Lord, and I want people to see his face when they gather together to worship, uh, we pray every Sunday when we gather the musicians and you know all the key players in the service together, we always pray, Lord Jesus, be the central character of our gathering today. I don't want to give people the impression that I'm there to sell them a bill of goods, right. um, that I'm there to promise them something that I can't deliver on. All I can do is promise them Jesus. I can promise them that he will be faithful, right? Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, and that everyone, once they are saved, will will remain secure in his Father's hand, and he will be with them through through the darkest valley. And he may not change their circumstances, but he will be with them in those circumstances, and we will walk together with Jesus in those dark circumstances. We need them to see Jesus, and to me, that's another feature of being gospel-centered as opposed to Bible-centered. Yeah. Is there a book you'd recommend to a pastor who's saying, I need to get a, a deeper, better understanding of what the gospel is and how that fits into my ministry? I mean, I can think about two dozen. Is there one that you would, a young pastor who's saying, give me the starter book. Where would you, where would you send them? Well, uh, every question I'm ever asked is, <laughs> is I usually answer it based on what I'm currently thinking about. And what I'm currently thinking about since you asked, and I didn't know you were going to ask this, but it's this book, um, the, <laughs> the Gospel, the gospel. Yeah. By, by Ray Ortland, and the subtitle is How the Church Portrays the Beauty of Christ. Um, I have just challenged my church family to read this book. We're all going to read it together in our small group ministries all over the church, and to think together carefully about how we portray the person of Jesus Christ. It's not just about continually repeating the message about what Piper called, you know, the story in the past, right? About yes. the man Jesus and the cross and the empty tomb and so forth. That's a part of it. The question is not, do we know the facts of the story and can we tell them to people? The question is, can we witness to the truth of all that that represents, all that that has done for the benefit of mankind and the cosmos in general? And so that's the one that I want everybody to read. And of course, like you said, there's a dozen other ones. What would you recommend? Yeah, I think you picked a great one. I would I would say Greg Gilbert's book, What is the Gospel? Yeah. Is a great primer. It's one that we give to new members at our church mm -hmm. and say, This is this is what we're all about here. So yeah, we uh, do too. Those are both great ways to get acquainted to what is uh the key message here. This has been so yeah. good. Thank you for the time today and thanks for helping us get more gospel focused here. Thanks for having me, Bob. Well, once again, that's Andy Snyder from Radiant Church. There's a link in our show notes to Radiant Church's website if you want to find out more about Andy and about the work 
that he and his team are doing in Austin. There's also a link in the show notes to Redeemer Community Church in Little Rock, the church that I pastor, where, again, you're welcome to check out and see what Redeemer is all about. And, of course, there's a link to the website for the Great Commission Collective. If you are not a part of GCC and God has put on your heart a burden for church planting and for churches thriving, gospel-centered churches like we've been talking about, check out the Great Commission Collective. Go to gccollective.org and find out more about what we're doing. There's also information, as I mentioned in the show notes, about the Simeon Trust. They do great training for pastors on how our preaching can be more gospel-centered, how we can do a better job of gospel-enriched expository preaching. And you can attend one of their workshops or their seminars, as I've done. No matter how long you've been preaching or where you are in the journey, I think you'll find the training to be very helpful. There's also a link to the essay that I mentioned from J.I. Packer. It was actually an introduction to John Owen's book, The Death of Death in the Death of Christ, a great Puritan classic that was reprinted in 1959. And then there's a link to the video clip that I talked about, John Piper at the first Together for the Gospel conference, where he outlined the five elements of the gospel. I've actually shown that clip to folks in our church. You can check that out. That's in the show notes and links to the books that we talked about. Again, there's much that we could recommend to you in this area, but those are two uh, great resources for you to dive into as you think about what it means to be gospel-centered in your preaching and in your ministry in the local church. Well, on our next episode, episode four of The Bounce, Matt Smethurst is going to join us, and we're going to be talking about the role of the deacon in the local church. Matt's written on this subject So we're going to explore and unpack what it is deacons are supposed to do, how are deacons different than elders, and how should we think about deacons in our local church. That's coming up next time on The Bounce. Hope you'll join us for that. I'm Bob Lapine. We'll see you then.